Glad to have you here. I'm going to start out with Aesop's fable, an Aesop fable called The Man, the Boy, and the Donkey. A man and his son were once going with their donkey to market, and as they were walking along by its side, a farmer passed them and said, You fools, what is a donkey for but to ride upon? So the man put the boy on the donkey, and they went on their way. But soon they passed a group of men, one of whom said, See that lazy youngster? He lets his father walk while he rides. So the man ordered his boy to get off and got on himself. But they hadn't gone very far when they passed two women, and one of whom said to the other, Shame on that lazy lout to let his poor little son trudge along. So the man ordered his boy to get off, and he got on himself. But they hadn't gone far when they... Oh, I was already read that. Well, the man didn't know what to do. But at last, sorry about that. But at last, he sat his boy before him on the donkey. So now they're both on the donkey. By this time, they had come to town, and the passerbyers began to jeer and point at them. The man stopped and asked what they were scoffing at. And the man said this, Aren't you ashamed of yourself for overloading that poor donkey of yours, you and your hulking son? Notice the boy has grown. The man and boy got off, and they tried to think what to do. They thought and they thought, and at last they cut down a pole, tied the donkey's feet to it, raised the pole and the donkey on their shoulders. They went along amid the laughter of all who met them till they came to the bridge. And when the donkey, getting one of his feet loose, kicked out and caused the boy to drop his end of the pole, the donkey in the struggle fell over the bridge into the water, and with his front feet tied, he drowned. That will teach you, said an old man who had followed them. Please all, and you will please none. Now, there's a lot of lessons in that old fable, but here's the one that I want you to get. We need to be discerning. We need to be discerning when it comes to declaring other people guilty and dealing with their dealing with our own guilt. We need to be discerning. The man and the boy, they, 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 basically that was a journey of guilt trips. And they kept listening to the guilt trips. They got on what I'm calling the guilt trip express. And it ended in a bad way. Well, that's what Job 15 through 21 is. So I want you to at least turn to Job 15 so you get in that portion of Job. It's all about being discerning when declaring someone guilty and when dealing with our own guilt. Now, this is the second round of debate. We talked about this last week. They, they came to comfort Job, his three friends, and they came to comfort and were miserable at it, and it became a rigid confrontation in round one. Hey, we know you've sinned, or you wouldn't be suffering like this, so you better repent. But Job refused to admit that he had sinned. So now we're in round two, where it becomes relentless conviction. Why? Because... You can't call someone to repentance if they don't think they've sinned. So now the strategy is, we've got to convict you of sin. And we're going to be relentless about it. And so no longer, in, in if you read through Job 15 through 21, and I hope you do, you don't find anything about calling him to repentance like you did in the first round, because now they're just trying to convict him that he's a sinner. And so basically, round two is all about putting Job on a guilt trip. We said last week that it's like whack-a-mole. Job says, I'm blameless. And Eliphaz says, no, you're not, and whacks him. And then he pops his head up over here and says, I'm blameless. And, and Bildad says, no, you're not, and whacks him on the head. And then Job pops up again and says, I'm blameless. And 
uh, Elihu or uh, Zophar says, no, you're not, and whacks him again. Now, the reason we need to be discerning, we said last week, is there's two reasons. And the first was there's two kinds of guilt out there. True guilt, which comes from God, and he shows us our guilt in order to remove our guilt, and that's a good thing. It's for reconciliation. The second kind of guilt is false guilt. And it comes from the devil, who is called the adversary, the accuser. And it's meant to uh, condemn us, not convict us. And it's meant to cause us to drive us away from God rather than to draw us to God. And false guilt typically comes to us from the devil, from ourselves, or from other people in the ter- in, 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 by putting us on a guilt trip trying to get us to ride what I'm calling the Guilt Trip Express. Well, last week we saw there's two kinds of people on the Guilt Trip Express, conductors and riders. Guilt Trip conductors take other people for a ride on the Guilt Trip Express. Here it is. Get on. Uh, You're guilty. Get on. That's what the Job's three friends were. They were Guilt Trip conductors. Last week's lesson's online. You can look at that and see how not to be a Guilt Trip conductor. But... There's also guilt trip riders who let others take them for a ride on the guilt trip express. And that's what we want to look at this morning. How not to go for a ride on the guilt trip express. Job, under intense pressure, resisted going for a ride on the guilt trip express. And he knows how to help us do the same. Now, I don't know about you, but I've struggled with both being a conductor and a rider on the guilt trip express. In fact, I got a theory that says if you're susceptible to guilt trips, then you're probably a pretty good conductor of guilt trips as well. Um, But since we're talking about being given rides on the guilt trip express and letting others put you, I've had people who are part of my inner circle or or family. You've seen the commercials, family, friends and family. But we're dead set on putting me on a guilt trip and either blaming me for sins that I've never done or not letting me forget and move on from sins I have done that I had dealt with correctly. And here's what I found from my own experience. So I'm just talking about my own experience. This is in your notes. Just see if you can relate to this. Here's what I found from my own experience with guilt trip conductors. One, they're not easy to resist. They're not easy to resist because they're often, like Job's three friends, they're very unrelenting. And the devil himself doesn't give up easily, as we've seen. And so I kind of principalize it this way. Guilt trip conductors don't give up easily. That's one thing I've learned. Second, I've learned that the more you resist their efforts, the angrier they get. And the more people they bring to try to pressure you to go on the guilt trip. And the situation becomes more intense. And we're going to see this with Job's three friends. We already have. You know, they start out and they were kind of ugly, now we're in round two, and they're getting uglier, and man, they're going to get even uglier in round three. Here's what I've learned. Guilt trip conductors can be very ugly, and they can get very mean. I've also learned that listening to guilt trip conductors for too long will cause you to do one of two things. I've seen this in my own life. Maybe you have too. Because they're unrelenting, and often you're in a position like Job was, where you have to listen to them. You know, Job was was on death's door. He couldn't move, and they had him literally surrounded on the ash heap. And often, these are people that are close to you that you really can't separate from, and so you hear it, and you hear it repeatedly. Two things I found. 
I either become too sensitive to their accusations and you begin to believe them. You begin to believe them. And number two, if you don't go that route, then you become too insensitive to them and you become hardened to that and you get defensive and then you don't end up being teachable and admitting anything that is true about your sin. So I ask you this morning, how have you struggled with guilt trip conductors? Now, if you don't have any in your life, then shout hallelujah. I didn't hear anybody shout. So, you know, how have you, how have you struggled with it? Whether they're family, friends, or maybe the guilt trip conductor that you need to deal with is yourself. Because often, like Polo, we have seen the enemy, and he is us when it comes to guilt trips. Now, as grown children, your parents can still buy you tickets on the guilt trip express. As parents, our own kids at an early age can save you a seat on the guilt trip express. As Christ followers, other believers and leaders can pressure you to ride the guilt trip express. So I've got good news for you this morning. Just because someone buys you a ticket on the guilt trip express doesn't mean you have to go for the ride. Can I hear an amen? All right, so how do we do this? Job knows guilt trips. He's going to help us out. There's lots that we can get. Uh, This is drawn mainly from his responses in round two, and those are in chapters uh, 16 through 17, chapter 19, and chapter 21. But I'm just going to, you know, we got to sum this up. So let me give you four ways how not to take a ride. Some of you are already on the guilt trip express and you need to get off. Some of you have just recently got off and you want to stay off. Some of you are not quite sure what I'm talking about because you... Somehow you've escaped this blessing in your life, and I don't want you to ever get on. So let's pay attention to these four ways. Are you with me? All right, let's look at it. Number one, how to stop being a writer on the Guilt Trip Express. Cling by faith to what God says about your sin, your guilt, and your blamelessness in Christ Jesus. Cling by faith to what God says about your sin, your guilt, your blamelessness in Christ Jesus. Now, throughout this book, Job maintains that he's blameless of any known sin. How is he able when when Satan, I mean, just think of that, Satan himself, not at one of his demons, but Satan himself has Job zeroed in to put him on a guilt trip, and somehow Job is resisting. Job has lost everything and really has no visible reason to trust God, and yet he's trusting God, and he's not getting on the guilt trip express. How's he doing this? He's got his three best friends who are godly, successful, and relentless in trying to get him to do this. How is he doing this? And you've got to remember this. Job doesn't know what we know about how God views him. He doesn't know that in chapter 2... God says, this is the most blameless, godly man on planet Earth at this time. So how is he able to do this? Well, this morning we know what Job doesn't know because it's written where? It's written in the Bible. Do you realize that Job, that was his desire, that somewhere there would be a God-ordained, a God-written record of his blamelessness? In fact, he says this in this very, uh, uh, in this very round of debates in Job 19, 22, 
through 24, here's what Job says. Why do you persecute me as God does and are not satisfied with my flesh? What he's saying is, why do you guys keep putting me on this guilt trip? Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. That with an iron stylus and lead, they were engraved in rock forever. Oh, I just wish my guiltlessness, my blamelessness would be forever recorded in a book. Is that irony? Those very words were recorded by God. But Job doesn't know that at the time. He doesn't have a nice leather-bound various celebrity pastor edition Bible study with notes. He doesn't have any of this. So what is he clinging to? He knows that he's blameless before God, and this keeps him from getting on the guilt trip express. Is it just blind faith? Is he just being self-righteous? I mean, you know, when people attack, it's just easy to say, you know what, you're attacking me, and I don't like it, and I don't like you. I'm right, you're wrong, and you're not budging me. Well, that, that you know, let's score some points for being stubborn, but that's not godliness. Why is Job doing this? How's he doing it? Is he just justifying himself with nothing to base it on? Job tells us the answer, and he already told it in chapter 6. So turn your, in your uh, to Job. In Job 6, and I want you to look at verse 10. Look at Job 6, and I want you to look at verse 10. What is Job clinging to? What is he standing on? Why is he resisting this guilt trip, these guilt trips? Verse 10, Job 6, verse 10. But it is still my consolation. Literally, or just another word for comfort. This is my comfort. I've lost everything. I've lost my health, my wealth, support of my wife sympathy of my friends. They're putting me on a guilt trip. I refuse to go because this is my comfort. And I rejoice in unsparing pain. Do not go over that quickly. I rejoice in unsparing pain that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. Listen, here's what I'm getting at. I mean, this study of Job is so, it's just, this book starts out mysterious, weird. You read through it. You have no clue. You know it's important. You can't relate to it. You study it like we've been studying it these weeks. And suddenly you see in the midst of all these words, 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 words of human beings. Here's the secret of Job. In unsparing pain, in total confusion, here's my one comfort. I have not denied the words of the Holy One. Now, that's cool. His greatest comfort when he had lost everything, seemingly even the thing that he feared most, friendship with God, this is his greatest comfort. Now, what words from God is Job holding on to? Now, I know I'm taking you through. You've got to work through this. Because when we read this, we think he's holding on to his leather-bound Study Bible, but what did we learn about Job? This is probably the oldest book in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus has not been written. What is Job holding on to? He lives in the time of Abraham. I would put forth to you that since this is probably the oldest book, he's not talking about Genesis through Revelation or even Genesis through through Deuteronomy. Job heard indirectly from God through oral teaching passed down since Adam and Eve. 
Okay? He heard indirectly because these stories were passed down by God's people, but I would also put forth to you, he heard directly from God, just like Abraham did, just like Adam did. Even Cain heard directly from God when God tried to convict him of true guilt. And this shouldn't surprise us because how does God, how does Job hear from God at the end of the story? Directly through a whirlwind. So the words that he's holding on to is indirect teaching passed down since Adam and Eve and directly from God. Now, in any case, here's what we know. That Job's faith in God's word was based on his spoken words to his people and he knew at least four things that he's hanging on to. The first one is this. He knew that God's position was holy. In fact, when you start reading through this book and think about these uh, people in the time of Abraham knew about God, they knew a lot of theology. You? I mean, they knew God was creator. We've seen that, and we're going to see it more. They knew he was redeemer. They knew he was the sovereign ruler. Boy, they really have hammered that home, haven't they? But here Job says, I have not denied the words of the Holy One. God is holy. That's he knows. The second thing that he knows that he's trusting in, that he won't deny, is that people's condition before a holy God is that they're sinful. God is holy. We are not. God's position is holy. Our condition is sinful. How do we know Job knew that? We know that because in Job chapter 1, it says that he feared God and he turned away from evil. He goes, look, God's holy, and therefore I should sin as little as I possibly can. More than that, we know in chapter 1, verse 5, that he knew he sinned and he took care of it on a continual basis. He offered up burnt offerings for his children and this was his continual practice. So, God is holy. Man, including Job, was sinful. He also knew that God's provision in light of God's holiness and man's sinfulness was the coming of of a savior. How do we know that? Because in these chapters especially, and you got to get this, track with me. I know it's morning. Track with me. That when he was pressured with false accusations, with false guilt to get on the guilt trip express, out of his faith in what God has spoken, come some of the greatest faith statements of a coming Redeemer, and they're found in these chapters. And you say, what are those? I have them laid out for you. We studied them on Easter. So you go online, download Hope Rises from the Ashes, and we did a whole lesson on these four statements that Job makes, three of which come in this section of Scripture. Okay, so there they are in your notes. When pressured... To get on a guilt trip express, Job responds by faith in what he knows only God can provide. I need a mediator. You're holy. I'm not. These guys are accusing me. Help me. I need an intercessor. Someone needs to plead with God and, and have him tell these guys that I'm right with you, even though I am a sinner and you're holy, that I'm, I'm taking care of my sin the way I'm supposed to. I need someone to intercede. Number three, I need a guarantor. I need someone to stand up, God, and I need you to stand up and say that my sin is paid for. 
Not because of anything I've done, but because what you're going to do. Get down here and tell them my sins are paid for. I need a Redeemer who lives because I'm about to die. And yet I know my Redeemer lives. And if I die, He will raise me up and I will see God and I will be vindicated. Now, what I want you to catch, and I know this is kind of, this is heavy stuff, but this this is the beauty of Job. When he was pressured to get on the guilt trip express, he didn't look at his guilt trip conductors. He looked at his redeemer, his intercessor, his mediator. He clung to what God had spoken about a coming redeemer, intercessor, guarantor, redeemer. Listen, if you're going to resist the guilt trip express, you've got to get your eyes off your guilt trip conductors and on to your guilt remover, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me on this? There's a reason why these statements are coming out of this round of debates. Because they're trying to convict him of sin he hadn't done. And he's saying, I have a redeemer. I have an intercessor. I have an advocate. I have a mediator. Now, the fourth thing that Job knew, he knew God's position was holy. He knew his condition was sinful. And he knew God's provision was a coming redeemer, intercessor, all those things. He had a decision to make by faith to cling to what God had promised to provide in a coming Savior. And so when put pressured to go on a guilt trip, he made a decision by faith to declare what God had spoken to him. Now, that's powerful stuff. Now. When we're pressured, we need to do what Job did. But we have a greater advantage than Job does. Listen to me. We have a greater advantage. Why? Because we know who the coming Savior, mediator, guarantor, uh, intercessor is. We know he didn't know. He's coming. We know he's come. And who is he? Jesus of Nazareth. This is not just something I need, God. This is something you've already provided. I'm going to cling to Jesus. So that's an advantage. Secondly, we have what Job wanted. We have a written record of our guiltlessness. We have a written record of our Redeemer, our intercessor. So these are the things you cling to. And here's the thing. To whom much is given, much is required. Job's going to stand with us in heaven. And we will have to answer that here's a man who didn't know that it was Jesus that he needed, but he, he, he trusted God's promise that God would provide someday. We know it's Jesus. He wanted a written record that he could hold and read and declare when others pressured him. We have that written record. Are you clinging to God's word? Okay. Are you clinging to God's word? Oh my gosh, how'd that happen? Are you clinging to it of what you have when you are on or being pressured to take a guilt trip? Now, I've given you some passages. When pressured to get on a guilt trip express, cling by faith to the one we know is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, I try to go through and give you some passages. Colossians 2.13 tells us that Christ in him we have been forgiven all our sins. In Romans 8.1, we've learned 
that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Romans 5.16, in Christ we have been justified. That means declared right with God. In Ephesians 1.3-4, God has chosen us to be blameless. Blameless, that's the word, before God. In 1 Corinthians 1, 7-9, Jesus says, He will confirm you to the end, blameless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter 3, 14, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless. That's an important verse. Because just because God declares us blameless doesn't mean we take, we just wallow in our sin When he's declared us blameless, then we are diligent to try to live blameless, just like Job did. And then here's the beautiful one, Jude 24 through 25. Yes, Jude. Listen, here's how Jude ends. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. Can you imagine standing before God, blameless with joy, not condemnation, not guilt. Isn't that wonderful? Then let your countenance show the wonder of it. Please. (laughs) Right? To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. That's what you cling to. Now, what how, What do you do with those passages? Just look at them, fold your notes up, throw away your notes. I know you do it. No, that's not what you do. If you're going to cling to these passages, if you're not going to be put on a false guilt trip by the devil or by others that the devil uses, then you've got to cling to these, which means you read them, you memorize them, you meditate on them, you love them, you weep over them, you rejoice over them, you feed on them, you value them more than money, you value them more than sleep, you value them more than work. You don't let any excuse get you, get you away from getting into God's word to know what Christ has done for you, is doing for you, has yet to do for you, and it covers your guilt. Now, you say, did Job do this? Yes, Job 23.12. Listen to Job 23.12. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. You see, hidden in all these words, 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 words of men is the secret to persevering. Job treasured and clung, and we're going to see declared. Because when he says, I have not denied the words of the Holy One, I looked up what that word denied, and it means I did not deny them because I openly declared them. Now, I'm telling you, some of you struggle with guilt. Guilt over past sin. Guilt over present sin. And there are some here, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, because I know human nature, you're struggling over guilt over sin you haven't even yet committed. And the reason, the first step you need to do is cling 
to the gospel. Because that is the gospel. Job knew the coming gospel. God's position, man's condition, Christ's provision, and your decision by faith to hold on to that. That's the gospel. He clung to that. And you need to declare it. I'm telling you, that's what you do. You declare it to your guilt trip conductors. You declare it to yourself. You declare it to the devil. And you don't get on. Just because you have a ticket to ride doesn't mean you have to go. Let's move on. Now, just because you cling to what God says about your guilt by faith, living faith is a sin-hating faith. Living faith is a God-loving faith. And therefore, the second step in resisting guilt trips is confess your sins to God on a consistent basis through Christ Jesus. You say, wait a minute. I thought we we're trying to resist guilt. Yes, false guilt. You know how, here's the secret. I mean, and, I, and it came to me this morning. I wish these great insights would come earlier in the week, but sometimes they don't. I'm not Andy Stanley. I can't come up with them quickly. But here's the answer. The way you deal with false guilt is by being aggressive in dealing with true guilt. The reason some of us are more susceptible to false guilt is because we're not taking care of true guilt. And therefore, you get confused. Are you with me? All right. Let me, sh- let me show you how this works. Just because Job was saved, forgiven, and declared right with God didn't mean he never sinned and he never had to confess sin. Job knew that both he and his adult children were sinners saved by grace by the gracious word of salvation in a coming mediator redeemer. But Job also knew that he still sinned and needed to deal with his sin in God's way. And in Job chapter 1, verse 1, the the main way you do that is by sinning, deal with sin by not doing it as as much as you can. You know the best way to not deal with guilt? Oh, here's another, this is divine inspiration. Right now, write it down. You know how you deal with guilt? By not becoming guilty. The best way to deal with guilt is to avoid it by not sinning. Sinning less. See, we think the gospel, sometimes we think the gospel means I can sin more and then just pull out my I'm forgiven insurance card. When in the reality is, I'm forgiven, therefore I'm going to turn away from sin like Job did. That's what he did in verse 1 of chapter 1. In verse 5, even though you want to sin less, you still sin. And so he offered up and dealt with sin in God's way. And in verse 5, without going deep into it, he offered burnt offerings. He first of all came before God and he confessed, I'm a sinner. That's why I'm bringing an offering. Number two... I want you to cleanse me of it. He says he consecrated his children. That means cleansing. He want, I, I, I need confession and I need cleansing because sin makes me dirty. Dirties my heart, dirties my mind, dirties my body. Then he said, I know the way I'm going to, now that I've confessed and I want to be cleansed, the way you're going to do it is cover my sin by a perfect substitute. Therefore, I'm bringing this animal sacrifice. It's not going to do anything, but it points to your son coming. So I need my sin confessed, cleansed, covered. And then this he did on a continual basis because Job never stopped sinning and neither do you. 
So what does this mean for us? Let me give you three practical things. Here's because I here's I'm I'm convinced that confessing sin on a daily basis is one of the most neglected spiritual disciplines of believers. So here's help with it. And the and the scary thing about of it, a lot of false teachers will teach you you don't have to confess sin because Jesus paid it all. Let me show you. Number one. To resist false accusations of your adversary, the devil, and his accusers, keep short accounts with God and others. Keep short accounts. Job continually kept short accounts with God. We need to, now here, let me give you the, here's how, here's the breakdown of how to do it. We need to confess our sins to God. We need to confess our sins to God, not to a priest, not to a pastor, not to your family or friends. Initially, Priority-wise, it begins with confessing your sins to God. David had committed murder. He had committed adultery. And yet he said, against you and against you only have I sinned. You go directly to God. That's the blessing of having Jesus. 1 John 1, 9. Let me begin with verse 8. 1 John 1, 8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. When you're a believer, the truth is in you, and that means you, you continually say, I have sinned, I have sinned. And then here's what you do with it, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then he goes down in just two verses later, and he says, my little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin, sin less. And if anyone does sin, because you will, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he goes on and he talks about how he's the covering and the payment for our sin. It's beautiful. It's all that we're talking about. It just sums up everything that Job was looking for is what we claim. All right? So you confess it to God. Number two, we need to confess our sins on a daily basis at the very least. This is where we miss it. You say, when I first came to this church over, uh, what, 24 years ago, there was a teacher teaching this class who taught that you did not have to confess sin because Jesus paid for it. I said, what about 1 John 1, 9? Well, that's for unsaved people. And, you know, I thought it, I didn't say it, but you're a false teacher. That's false doctrine. That's wrong. And let me give you the proof of it. In Matthew 6, if, if, if people think that Christians don't have to daily confess sin, then what do you do with Matthew 6, 11, and 12 where Jesus taught us to pray and he said this, give us this day our daily bread and the very next daily and the very next request is what? And forgive us our debts, our sins, our trespasses just as we forgive others. So not only are we to get forgiveness from God daily, but we're to what? Forgive others daily. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of principles we're getting today. Unforgiving people, I can guarantee you, don't have a sense of their own sinfulness and don't confess their sins on a regular basis. Jesus, Jesus just connected those two things. Now, I think the principle there is not that you sin all day and then before you go to sleep, you say, Father, forgive me. I think the principle there is as often as I sin and I'm convicted of it and aware of it, that's how often I confess. Now, how many would you admit that you sin daily? 
And how many would keep your hand up and say not only daily, but frequently in the day? Now, see, we all admit that. Now, I will not ask you now to raise your hand on this one, so don't raise your hand. How many of us confess our sin as often as we just claimed we commit our sin? Listen, if you want to get off the guilt trip express of false guilt, then you deal with true guilt and keep short accounts with God. Is that good? Was that worth the price of admission? It was free. You didn't have to pay to get in today. Thirdly, we need to confess our sins against others to them with the utmost urgency. Jesus taught that as well. So some people then say this, my sin is between me and God. Didn't you hear David against thee and thee only? So when I confess to God, I don't have to mess with other people. Matthew 5, which came before Matthew 6, he says this, Listen, if you're worshiping God, which is the most important thing you can do, and God brings to your mind that you have sinned against your brother or sister, leave your faith offering gift, leave your your Bible, run from the church worship service, and run to that brother and ask for forgiveness. And he talks about guilt. talks about guilt in that passage. So that's the first thing. Keep short accounts with God. Number two, be quick to admit your sin when confronted by others. Be quick to admit your sin when confronted by others of actual sin and true guilt. Because here's the reality. We can be blind. We can confess our sins. We're still blind. Do you have blind spots? I have blind spots. And so the way you deal with false guilt is that you are teachable When people point out sin that you're blind to, you go before God, you open his word, and you say, wow, I missed that one. You're right. Listen to Job 6.24. Teach me, and I will be silent. Show me how I have erred. So even though he claimed he was blameless, he wasn't unteachable. Do you see the balance? In fact, Elihu who will be this mysterious young man that speaks at the end, he puts the three friends on a guilt trip and says, for all this guilt tripping you're doing, you haven't proven a thing about this guy. In other words, Job really was blameless. Now, here's the third principle under this, confess it. Seek to live blameless by sinning less. Seek to live blameless. So, as I said, the, de- the, way to deal, the best way to deal with guilt is just avoid it by sinning less. Okay, that's number two, confession. Number three, counter your guilt trip conductors by truthing in love and turning them over to the just judge. So, I hope you're seeing, a, seeing these principles. We got four principles. The first two don't even deal, aren't even about your guilt trip conductors. You've got to go vertical. You've got to go to the cross. And once you have that confidence in God's word and what Christ has done, now you can face them. Are you with me? But we tend to get, we tend to leave God out of the picture and just get in a conflict with our guilt trip conductors. Easy to do. So here's what you do. Speak the truth in love to them. Speak honestly to them. Now, I don't know how much love Job had in his heart. These are pretty strong words. But here's what I know. God did not condemn Job for 
countering and confronting his guilt trip conductors with honesty. And as I've read through this book now, over and over in these past few weeks, here's some of the things that stand out. You're wrong about me and my sin. He just, he just flat said, you were wrong. Not based on his own self-righteousness, but on what Christ has done for me and what the Word of God says about me. I'm right with God, and God will say so in the end. I may not be able to convince you, but God will be my advocate. He also told his guilt trip conductors, you're not helping me right now. This is not helpful. I know you think you're helping me, but this isn't helping me. Please stop. This is not helping me. Hey, sometimes I need to hear that. And sometimes you need to hear that as a spouse, as a parent. This isn't working. You think it's working. It's not working. Stop condemning me and start comforting me. Paul, uh, Job said that repeatedly. Would you just stop condemning me? I have enough of that. Could you just comfort me right now? And then finally, ultimately what Job is saying to his friends honestly is this. I need you to get off my back and on my team. So speak the truth in love. But here's, here's the reality. Proverbs says in many words there can be much sin. And what Job did learn, at the what we'll see when we get to the end of the book, and we will get there, we will get there. When we get to the end of the book, we're going to see that what Job did sin in was just talking too much. So sometimes you need to do number two, just live the truth. Just live the truth in love. In fact, some, some translations translate 415 as not speaking the truth, but practicing the truth in love. Okay, there's more I could say there. But I'm just going to say this. Jesus was the ultimate person who they who was tried to put they they tried to put him on a guilt trip. And you know what Jesus did? Never said a word. Never That doesn't mean we should never say words. Job did and Job was right. But there's a time where you stop speaking honestly and you start living with you you continue to live in integrity and you take your beating. That's what Jesus did for us. And then finally, turn them over in love to the just judge and merciful judge. Turn them over in love to the just and merciful judge. Ultimately, that's what happens at the end of the book. In the end of the book, the just and merciful judge says, Job, stand over here. You you were right, but there are some things I want to talk to you about. You three are wrong. And you need to go to Job, basically ask forgiveness. He will ask me to forgive you, and then I will forgive you. Listen, Joseph said this to his, to his guilt trip conductors. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Jesus said this to his guilt trip conductors. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen, as he was stoned, said this to his guilt trip conductors. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And as I sat and looked at those three statements, which are three very important truths in Scripture, three things stand out to me. First of all, they're all God-centered. They're all God-centered. Number two, they all are said with a forgiving spirit. But here's the thing we forget. None of them took the responsibility off the guilt trip conductors. They left the responsibility on them. They said, God, you deal with them. 
but they said that with a forgiving spirit and not a vengeful one. Wow. So here's number four. So what do you do? Ultimately, what do we do when we've done everything we know to do and others are still falsely accusing us? Number four, choose to wait for God to clear your name in Christ Jesus. Choose to wait for God. Turn your Bibles and I just read this and we'll done. Job 23. I want you to look at Job 23. This is outside of the second debate. This is in the third debate because this is ultimately what you do. Here's where Job, he came down to. He had silenced his conductors, but here's but the situation wasn't resolved. Here's what he said. Verse 23, verse 10. But God knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his path. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I've tried to sin less. And when I have sinned, verse 12, I have not departed from the commands of his lip. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Here's what you cling to. Here's what you cling to. 1 Corinthians 4, 4 through 5. For I am not conscious of anything against myself. But I am not justified by this. The one who evaluates me is the Lord. Therefore, don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts, and then praise will come to each one from God. Wait for that day. But don't get on the guilt trip express in the meantime. Isn't that good? And that's just good stuff. So be discerning. Don't let others take you for a ride. Here's your next step, and I'll let you go. Who has tried to take you for a ride? Pray for them. Turn them over to the just and merciful judge. If you can talk to them, talk to them with a merciful, humble, forgiving heart, but speak honestly to them. And if you cannot convince them, then you just set your boundaries... You release them to the just judge, and you don't get on just because they buy you a ticket. 